Everybody's getting boned <laughs> when they were all fighting the, the zombie skeletons. I was like, ha, 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 everybody's getting boned. But as I'm reviewing, I'm like, everybody's getting boned. Yep. Cersei and Jamie boned each other. Yep, they got Tywin boned. was boning Shay. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> what what other boning was going on? Uh, let's we cross, see. cross boning. North of the wall. Yeah, there was a little uh, cross boning. Oh, yeah, cr- yeah, there was cross boning. Melisandre kind of boned John with her eyes. Yeah, she, she eye boned him. Yeah, over the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, getting eye boned is is rough. You know, <laughs> it, it's rough. Oh boy, I got some dog action. So, um, I'm not really sure how we start this. Everybody listening at home, but we're all here. This is Game of Owns, and this is our last post episode recap of 2014. Welcome. We made it. We made it through another season. I cannot <laughs> believe we are here. We have so many people to thank. I'd like to thank all you guys, you three, mm-hmm. mm. for, for coming in and uh, pressing the record buttons with me. It's been a blast. Yeah, man. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we've done our that. our last episode ever. No. No, it's no, no. not. No. <laughs> but our last, it, it's kind of nostalgic. I know exactly what this is, is this, this uh, tension in the air, this suspense. It's like uh, thick fog rolling in because once we do this episode recap, we are we've again found ourselves in a point where... There's not going to be a new episode for some time. Eric's right. It's Sunday night. We are gathered yet again, and the children has just finished airing for the four of us. Some of you may still be watching it. Judging by the fact that this episode isn't in real time, you're listening to it on Monday. So chances are, if you're listening, you probably definitely already watched it. And if you haven't, press the stop button. Don't let us tempt you any further. Skeletons and fireballs, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I I just have to say that. And... Uh, I have a close friend who you guys know, I bring him up on the show nearly every episode this season because I go to him for all my advice. Um, my friend is Andrew and his message to book readers, uh, which I will share with you now is don't you dare complain that episode mm. was awesome. Andrew. <laughs> Sorry, and Andrew. I have a difference of Trust opinion. me, he knows. And he was like, they're going to, sh- they might not show this. And I'm like, what is it? And he like, wouldn't tell me, but so I still don't know what it was that wasn't shown. But apparently there was something that wasn't shown. You think? Yep. <laughs> yep. So I think we should start where the show began, which was where we left off at the end of the the previous episode. Yes. And can can I bring this up? I think they could have fit Stannis into last week's episode. Yeah. I was thinking that as, as well. So that's that's what you guys were saying, that whole opening mm-hmm. sequence, like yeah. afterward, you know, obviously after the conversationing with John and Mance, like you're talking about. That's that's the part you wanted to see, right? I just I all you had to do was show an army riding up and cut to Stannis and then fade to credits. And people would have been like, What <laughs> literally too many emotions right now. Like literally yeah. too many mm-hmm. emotions. It is we're, a we're, storm. we're talking about the last episode of season four. This is the big, you know, this is the big one. This is the one that everyone's been talking about, that mm-hmm. everyone's been leading up to in, in news articles and in podcast episodes and in conversations with their closest and most dear friends. Mm-hmm. We got 66 minutes of it. Yeah. And I think I think also due to a lot of press releases and statements that D&D made and some Instagram photos from Lena Hetty, mm-hmm. I feel like we were led to believe that the hype train was going full speed. Full steam. And yeah. like we we were aboard. And, and I think that a lot of, I, I'm personally – 
uh, guilty of this myself to some degree, but I think that many of us book readers were like assuring our unsullied friends like, oh yeah, this episode's going to rule. It's going to be the the best episode. If you were getting bored with all the stuff that's going on in Game of Thrones, well, just hold on tight for yeah. the end of season four because well, it's going to be I, amazing. I think the episode, it did rule. I mean, I thought it this was episode an oh, yeah. amazing rule. episode. It was insane. Yes. Oh, yeah. Understood. Yes. Especially for the non-book readers, the the unsullied. Right. If you if you're going into it expecting, and I'm seeing a lot of this from unsullied on the internet after this episode, they're like, "This episode was great, but uh, is this supposed to be like the game changing episode of Game of Thrones? This is not what I was led to believe. Like, it's cool. It's it was awesome, but like there there was not a big moment, and people people feel like they got some blue balls. That's total bullshit, though, because this absolutely was a game changing episode. The simple fact that that shit happened in the root castle up north, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The the fact that any of that happened, monumental, monumental. Sorry, King's we, just, Landing. we just said we weren't going to complain about it, and I'm already bringing it back up. Well, okay, let's... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, 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 no. Let me just say... <laughs> let's be rewinding went, it. <laughs> since you went on that thread, let me just say that, I, you know, as an unsullied, um, you know, person who does not follow Lena Hetty on social media um, and who d- has not been... But who will with, as of tomorrow. Uh, yes, certainly will. <laughs> Uh, and has not been keeping up with um, all of the various mid-season, inter- you know, in-season interviews with D and D. I was not let down. <laughs> You've earned your spot on this show by l- l- listening to and reading nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what's going on in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Listeners, I am Eric Skull. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you all. <laughs> As a casual viewer. Ladies and gentlemen, or lady and gentlemen, as a casual viewer, I love this episode, and I simply do not know what I did not get. Okay. I know what I got, All right. and I loved it. Let's talk about what we got. I'm with you, buddy. We got Stannis the Manus showing up <laughs> to save uh, the, the Night's Watch from the evil wildlings who aren't that evil. They just want to peace through the wall so that they can get away from the crazy <laughs> shit that's going on up north. Understood. Can we believe that? Can we believe that the thin... That the Fen just okay. want safety? No, okay. That's that is something that they didn't address. Like John should have brought that up. Be like, Mance, really? You're running with cannibals, my friend. You're probably about to feed me one of them. <laughs> I think that there was there's probably some details. They need to have a few a few hours of negotiation. Um <laughs> still, but but they are just trying to save themselves and they're not trying to mm-hmm. wage war on the north, supposedly. However, they're they are very warlike people, so I, maybe it's just in their nature. Um mm. I have written down here for my notes. Battle secret, the magic ingredient is ponies. Because that seems to be like <laughs> Santa's it's had a true. lot of, he had a lot of men and they had a lot of ponies. And it uh it worked out great. They had a herd of ponies. And I don't think it's proper for us to go a step further without a warning everyone listening. We're recording this right after we watched it, so we're gonna have glorious details not only in this episode, but in other episodes to follow. So hold mm-hmm. your steam. And uh B, we can't go any further without talking about finally seeing Karen Hines. Mance Raider have a conversation not only with Jon Snow but with anyone and it was insanely cool this I mean yes he's been gone for a while on this show um the first step ep- I mean this is the first episode we've seen him this season right mm-hmm. he was in what the first three of last season so it's been a long time coming and he just slides right back into the role and he had a lot to do in this episode between the various uh discussions and surrendering and that sort of thing or not surrendering right or he surrendered but he doesn't kneel we don't kneel we're not kneelers we're not big on the kneeling thing. <laughs> no, he doesn't. And I just thought it was so important, the conversation between 
him and John in that tent when they're they're kind of going through and paying tribute to those who have fallen. And you could just see that there's real concern on his part, just that the people beyond the wall, these wildlings, are able to get on the other side because, let's face it, they're just as scared as what lives up north mm-hmm. as the Night's watches, And they want refuge. They want shelter. They want to be safe. And they know what's coming. And they know being on the other side of the wall makes them much better off than where they are right now. And and that's all that Mance is trying to do at this point. His people have fled enough. Yes. I noticed that when he uh, disarms himself when Stannis and Davos approach, he pulls out his, uh, his he's got the dual wielding the, the dagger sword combo, which is pretty oh, pro. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I you think at that moment that Mance is like, whatever, I'm going to do this. But he doesn't. He surrenders. He does not kneel, but he surrenders instantly. He's a smart man. Yeah, he's he's definitely smart. This is a new confrontation that I don't think we're mm-hmm. used to ever seeing on the show. Let's just count out the fact that Jon Snow is there, which makes this way huger of a deal than it normally would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, the king beyond the wall, for all intents and purposes, is speaking to the king of the Seven Kingdoms. And yeah. he's north of the wall with his fucking army. He mm-hmm. walks out of the fog with Davos Seaworth and all of those men that they bought with gold coins. Oh, it's just... It's it's literally almost too much to take in. And now that we've officially seen this part that you guys spoke of so much in those past two episodes we did uh, for Watchers on the Wall, I completely agree. Like, I, I understand their approach to, you know, like, we want this to be epic in a way of John is walking into the unknown and that will guide you into the next episode. But I really believe that seeing Stannis and Davos, like that, that piece and the aerial shot of the horses yeah. riding toward the wildlings. Right. Little yeah. pieces like that really, really, really could have captured uh, some spice at the end of the last episode. It's spice. Knowing that it was in the finale oh, yeah. kind of, for me, made it seem like it would be the White Walkers that were attacking um, at first. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mean, that may be very, a very ignorant thing to say. I no, don't they didn't know. have horses. I mean, I, they just legions of of creatures on horses. But when I saw the horses weren't dead... You know, mm-hmm. and we're and we're very much, you know. Well, the banners say, were probably a giveaway too. Right. The banners that were too, too far. The banners. <laughs> look, I have a small, or like I have, I have non-HD TV. So the fact that they were carrying banners, <sighs> I even wrote in my notes at first. I was like, "White Walkers carry banners." I'm like, "This is not them," <laughs> and you know, it was obscured. I saw the banners, but I couldn't read them. You know, that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, I think for <laughs> because it was on the uh, finale, though, I was expecting a little White Walkerage, and when it turned out to be Stannis and Davos, the surprise was that much greater. I mean, oh, they so just good. inserted themselves because here's the other thing is the wildlings for episodes and episodes have been coming south to get away from the White Walkers and they converge on the wall, but the White Walkers are apparently still coming down, right? And so it's like where – and we we last saw them in episode five. So where the hell are they? What's taking them so long? Do they need it to be full winter in, you know, in order to be able to, to ride against all these White Walkers? Or sorry, the, all these wildlings? Let's call George. Get him on the phone. Yeah, why haven't we called him before? And that's kind of my question, because it's just interesting that they inserted an entire army in between these other two guys, these other two armies, essentially. No, well, it, it's first of all, it was in the lead up to this episode. They showed a flashback to when Melisandre tells Stannis that the War of the Five Kings means nothing. The real yes. fight is at the wall. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really a bad move on the part of HBO because I think it gave the whole thing away. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't know if both of you, Zach and Eric, thought that coming into this episode that Stannis was going to show up uh, and basically save the Night's Watch. But I, if you had seen that sort of lead-in, 
I think it would have been a, very much a giveaway that he was going to show up at some point. I saw the lead and I noticed it, but I just didn't think that you could approach the north by sea. It's frozen up there quite a bit. So I'm still surprised. I'm thinking of old prophecy stuff. And in my mind, just uh, the stuff that we've spoken about before in, in older episodes that I hope some of you go back and visit eventually. I, I figured eventually there would be a point where Stannis would go toward the north. I don't really know how to say this because it's so... I mean, first off, I'm talking about a fake prophecy. So there's that. It's not only <laughs> fake because it's a prophecy, but it's also written in a book. But I, I thought it would be a different moment. So I... I, I thought maybe the show was trying to mislead us with that. I don't watch the previews except for the one that we watched on the show. I, I heard mm -hmm. that we needed to stay away from the extended version of that one. And so I didn't watch it during the conversation with John and Mance. I figured some kind of a strange peace treaty would be stricken because, you know, at that moment in the conversation, it didn't feel like an army was about to ride in. It was pretty comfortable. Like they really eased you into a comfort level yeah. right. rather than it just being short and having a few things to say, like, there were drinks shared. It was real compassion. It was real tension. And it was a lot of Jon Snow being a badass and mm -hmm. a lot of Mance Raider understanding that. You know, when he walks up and he's like, you're wearing a black cloak again. Like, <laughs> the whole tone is set. We know that this is going to be a lot easier than maybe the ending of the last episode seemed like it was going to be. Yeah, Mance, definitely reasonable man. They toast the dead. They toast Grit and Gren and the giant, Mag, the mighty. It it really was kind of it did it did put you at the eddies um, a little bit just seeing John go into the camp and you're like oh he's ambushed just like that um, but Mance actually spoke with him and I mean do you guys think he was going to offer to quarter a hundred thousand or whatever's left of the wildlings on the other side of the wall or to figure out how to agree to to something like that I mean further negotiations surely would have had to have taken place but it seemed like the direction it was going in John definitely has seen what they're talking about. And he knows what they're running from. And I think that it would have been a conversation that he would have been willing to have and, and probably was yeah. about to continue to have. The coolest thing about this negotiation is that John kept saying that he had been sent. He didn't refer to himself as the current Lord smart Commander move. of Very the Night's smart. Watch. Extremely smart. Well, up until there was a knife at his neck when he then admitted that it couldn't possibly be the Night's Watch that was attacking because they don't have the men mm -hmm. to do it. <laughs> right. And so I f feel like his whole argument kind of went out the window there. And, and even just before that, when Mance gets the little inkling from the way John's behaving and looking at that, what was it, a knife or, or something was on? Yeah. It was the way John moved his wrist, I think, like toward a knife on his belt or something like that. I, you know, I've watched it one time and I was like drinking fire and blood ale the entire time. Like, this is my <laughs> last one. It's the finale. Glug, glug, glug. Just the, the quick point here being that I think that the wildlings are so easily able to call John's motives into question, you know, because it, it happens a little bit later on uh, with Tormund when he's talking with him and, and they're talking about Ygritte. Mm -hmm. But you wonder how much of John has actually been changed or just coming into the Night's Watch, how much of John just is still John from back at Winterfell and hasn't really become much of a brother of the Night's Watch. Like He definitely has qualities of a brother, but I still feel like he's somebody who makes his own decisions. He makes his own choices. He doesn't necessarily you know, always subscribe to the rules and the regulations of the Night's Watch, at least the ones that aren't going to cause 
damage to other people. And like, he spits when he fights now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he's learning. So, I mean, come on. The learning computer. I also thought it was interesting, Eric, something that you brought up earlier was that Stannis deferred to Jon's judgment when it came to Mance Raider's fate. And if Jon had said, you know, my father would probably have betted him because he was he's a wildling, I think Stannis would have killed Mance right there on the spot. He yeah. was he he valued Ned Stark as an honorable person, um, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, and that's that's really what drove him, right? He didn't even like Ned Stark particularly. Um, we know this from the books, but the honor—they've got the honor connection. Mm-hmm. They're on the honor roll together. Yeah, we can say that. Stannis likes Ned Stark more than probably most people. Let's just say that. As much as Stannis mm-hmm. can like someone. Yeah, as much as he can like someone, <laughs> he's a pretty big fan of Neddard Stark. <laughs> Neddard. Can you imagine Stannis and Neddard? The people he likes. They have no pictures or anything. And just, just like maybe one word. Hello. <laughs> I don't know. It's just Stannis Christmas cards. Maybe I'll spend more time thinking about what that might be. Yeah, workshop, workshop that idea. Can we talk about the moment? Yes. The moment in particular I'm thinking of is when, for me, I, I, I don't know if it's cheesy. I think this happened a lot for me in this episode. But it was when I was seeing John speak to Stannis and Davos, two of my favorite characters, oh. speaking to another character that I really like and who's been doing a kick-ass job in these past few episodes, like ridiculously good Jon Snow. Everyone agrees. Most, for the most part online, everyone's pretty celebratory about uh, what John's doing You know, at the end of season four. So seeing these guys and seeing John go, my father died for you, it's just like... Hold on! Like finally, John is 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 interacting with other people from the story. Not only that, but it's Stannis and it's Davos. And right now, you know, my fear of John maybe getting confused as a wildling and the fervor and getting killed is definitely put to rest. Mm-hmm. The D for Stannis and Davos's team is so on point. Did you guys see when the wildling guy was like, "I'm gonna walk," and he, the door, the dude came from the wing with the horse and just took him out, just. <laughs> Right as they were walking in, they didn't even like you know flinch or skip a beat. They just oh, kept their pace. D. Gotcha. Yeah. If not, well, Davos defense. totally had it. He was going to step up. I know. Yeah. He throws bag of fingers at him. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, those are his lucky bones. It was just. It was just a very. I don't know. The, the exchange was just for me. I thought it was so impactful, and uh, it really, really excites me for what could come next. Because right now, John is hanging out with the king, essentially. Mm-hmm. Not his king, but a king. And. You know, that really calls into question, I think, the situation at King's Landing for me. Um, because just how many Lannisters are there left who are at King's Landing and fit to rule? What exactly has happened? Cersei gave it all up for Jamie in this episode to Tywin. She said, I won't do it, etc., etc. She, she won't necessarily have to give that up anymore, but that, that was her choice was to just go off and be with her brother, you know, romantically. And and she called her father's dynasty, you know, a lie to his face. Um, this is just, let's just say it's different from the Lannisters in all the other finales who we've said have come out on top. Um, they have been split up and obviously with the death of Tywin, no skirting around it. Um, it's a little different situation the end of this episode well you talk about the lannisters coming out on top and i think jamie was on top in this particular <laughs> uh, yeah for a minute no there. i think cersei was on uh, top uh but i think that i wanted to ask you guys a question um there right after we we segue from john and stannis 
to Cersei. But Cer- Cersei has this scene with um, Kyburn and Pycelle mm-hmm. and the the very um, I, I, what's the right word? Emaciated. Yeah, he's pretty. He's pretty emaciated. The mountain post his his uh, his Oberyn fight, and Kyburn is letting Cersei know that that he has a procedure that could cure him. She dismisses Pycelle. My question to you is: What do you feel that Cersei stands to gain by helping the mountain not to die of his wounds? Bane. Bane. <laughs> I think that's pretty good she can gain bane yeah but i mean the the obvious answer is that this solidifies her victory over Tyrion, right and if the mountain survives then there's absolutely no question that the gods find Tyrion guilty and she can avenge right. her son in its right. in completion however Tyrion is sentenced to die the next day like she's yep. got she's got her victory um and she she clearly wants something beyond that. Uh, whether it's just a, a personal beat up servant, I, I'm not sure. But I wanted to see if you guys had any theories about that. I think she gains an ally more than anything else. I mean, and she has somebody who could be completely indebted to her for saving his life. And, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily how the mountain operates. And even Kyburn says towards the end, he's not going to be the same. And she says, will he be weaker? And he says, yep. oh, no. That's uh, all. That's and all that's creepy. Yeah, that yeah. is all she cares about. And you see that when she dismisses Pycelle. I mean, I feel like that's been a long time coming. Uh, and she slowly gained allegiance ever since Kyburn has shown up yep. in King's Landing, right? We get the conversation earlier on in the season between her and Jamie um, saying that Kyburn did some sort of, gave her some sort of uh, potion, right? To w- what we think was to get rid of a child, right? Uh, and so she's been very much going in a, in a less than ethical direction, I think, in terms of which maester she chooses to align herself <laughs> with. And he's not even considered a maester anymore, right? Pycelle right. brings that up. Kicked out. Yeah. He's been kicked yeah. out of the Citadel. Your grace, <laughs> this is my laboratory. His unnatural curiosity. Oh, And man. she's going and making some very shady allies. And, you know, we've heard about Kyburn's practices. He's he's very much like a Dr. Frankenstein, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in terms of the things that he does, the experiments. And then the mountain appears now to be his next experiment. And you wonder, what the hell does that mean? Right. Yeah, well, the, uh, the tubes he was working with looked biological, and that concerns me. <laughs> they did. It really does. There was some Game yeah. of Thrones IV made from the, the intestine of a... An ostrich or something. <laughs> Couple torn snorkel. Well, hold on. I, I also think it's important to point out that it's very clear that Oberyn poisoned the mountain. Right. It wasn't yes. just manticore venom. Manticore venom. Mm-hmm. Which yes. you, know, you can pick up at your local shop anytime. <laughs> if uh, people would remember, that's the thing that Selmy rescued Daenerys from back the in the biz. Yeah. The thing with the weird little face. In the show, at least. No, I think that um, the Cersei does just want a killing machine on her side. She's going to great lengths to do it. Her only follow-up question was not, what are you going to do to him? You know, what will this do to him? How will he be different? Mm-hmm. She just said, will he be weaker? That's all she cared about. Yeah. And really, um, the just the, the way of saying he'll be different reminds me so much of uh, Miri Mazdur, you know, what she said mm-hmm. yeah. here, Daenerys, you know, has her, you know, in the tent and she's laying down the rules. This is what I must do. It won't, 
you know, be the same, but it'll be life, you know, sort of thing. It's that, that deal that she makes and, and Drogo, we know how that turns out. And then uh, Cersei, I think, kicks off Tywin's worst day ever <laughs> by con- yep. con- confirming- It's Father's Day, Tywin. Yep. Dear Diary. <laughs> Today, today sucked. Um, she <laughs> confirms her twin cess relationship, and she, um, she blackmails him with it. And she says she'll just take down the whole family if he makes her marry Loras. Um, and then she she goes and gets her bone on. But I did think that that was some next level blackmail shit. It was like I feel I feel she's coming unhinged. I think that was clear in this episode. Just yeah. the, her facial expressions becoming so visceral when she's mm-hmm. always so contained and for mm-hmm. the most part tinted by wine. But like she is taking advantage of the heightened emotions. You know, the trial by combat has just taken place. Like, I know we had a week separating us, but they don't know what's happening at the wall. Mm-hmm. Let's just say a raven hasn't made it its way back yet. And they're <laughs> a little bit unaware of what's going on. So to them, what happened to Oberyn and the cleaning process, I'm sure that that took, all of that is very fresh in their mind's eye. I agree that it it was some next level shit. And, and you wonder what direction Cersei's character is going in now, leading into next season, right? Because... Right. She basically lays down the law to her father, says, look, I'm not set- settling for marrying Loras Tyrell. Exactly. I'm going to do what I want to do, and that's the bottom line, and not just because Stone Cold said so, but because <laughs> Cersei said so, <laughs> right? Cersei 316 said, I just kicked your ass. He just drinks beer on the top rope. like He just throws it on his face. What a good job. Every once in a while, drives like a uh, a big Budweiser truck or a Coors Light truck into Gotta the arena. It. Yeah, I feel like that's what she did. She backed up the Coors Light truck right into, uh, you know, Tywin's office there. The mountains were blue. Yeah. So <laughs> it just shows you, um, you know, her mindset now. She's she's be- she is becoming unhinged a little bit, and I think you know she she just said what she had to say to her father and basically took blackmail to the next level. She said, "Look, I have no problem putting my secret out there because I know that if I do." It's going to completely destroy this little dynasty that we have going on. Tommen mm-hmm. will not be the true king, and Tywin Lannister is not going to get to be hand of the king. So you better go with what I say, or otherwise, this dirty laundry, I'm going to make sure that everyone knows that it's actually true. I will burn our house to the ground before I let it happen. Which was a very Tyrion line. I, I, she reminded me strongly of Tyrion when she when she delivered that one. Um but uh, I wanted to to mention too. I thought it was interesting. We're jumping ahead, but it's it's the same Lannister thread. There's there's this scene between Jaime and Cersei where she's very passionately telling him that she's going to stay with him, and there's nothing that can take them apart. And Jaime seems way into it. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and then presumably, a matter of hours later, he's in the cells releasing Tyrion. Yep. Yeah. Um and and so I I have this note here I I was like is he playing Cersei? I I feel I feel like maybe he's he's trying to get in her good graces so that when Tyrion is released then she's less likely to suspect him. I don't know. You know, I think with Jamie he just realizes that Cersei needs to be um defied in in certain areas. He's he's still going to save his brother. His relationship with Cersei, you know, maybe is, is stronger than it has been since he got back to King's Landing, you know, because she wants him and she can, you know, sort of confesses and says and basically pledges that she'll always be with him. Um, but he's still it's it's still his brother. He's not going to all of a sudden let Tyrion die. And so I don't really see it as as him 
tricking Cersei necessarily, but he knows or feels that he knows what she can and, and can't tolerate. And mm. she's just won a major victory against her father, against their father. And so I think that was really the bigger, I think he's really weighing, you know, kind of what, what's going on. And I, I think he, he doesn't, you know, think twice about freeing Tyr- uh, Tyrion just because he and Cersei got their bone on. I think that's just something that, that he knew he always had to do. And, you know, we didn't see him arranging it with Varys. Um, but it's very possible that, you know, the plan could have been in the works ever since the trial uh, for that to be the case. I feel like he may have decided it just as Tyrion let that beetle go. Um, mm. As as he's telling the story about the beetles and then he lets his little captive beetle go. I feel like Jamie's face right then, he's like, I can't let this guy die. I no matter what. Something. Yeah, I have to I have to try to do something. Yeah. Yeah. And these are conversations we're not used to seeing. Now, this is Game of Thrones and this is a season finale. But normally, when we'd be doing a season finale, we wouldn't say things like, Cersei talked to Tywin about her incestuous relationship with Jamie. <laughs> and there's how that went. Like, this isn't a normal thing for us. So I feel like Cersei is actually sort of feeling what we're feeling, which is this, like, I don't know, reckless confidence. You know, like, this just... Yes. Things are so different, and like I, I, I feel that way toward the story right now, almost. So when she, you know, kicks the fucking door down into where Jamie's reading the book about himself, <laughs> like it goes flying, you know, and she's like, "Come here!" And then you know the scene starts. I feel like her aggression and everything is just because, just like all these emotions, like I said earlier, it's just a very, very heightened emotional state yeah. for a few of these people. Yeah, I think he reasons. was on the the Barristan Selmy page, wasn't he? Or did I not see that correctly? No, it was Jamie Squire to Barristan Yeah, Selmy. I feel like that's the only oh, okay. thing he reads. He just turns to that page and stares at it. <laughs> well, it's depressing for him. <laughs> I think it was the beginning of Tywin, his character really starting to devolve. If that, you know, because we haven't seen a lot of times Tywin's kids speak up to him. We've seen it a little bit in the earlier part of the season, but Cersei came to him and basically. You know, I felt for you know from a from a show standpoint, they wanted the character of Tywin to know before he died, because obviously yeah. most people didn't know that that was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but they wanted the character to know, hey, your son and your daughter got freaky and popped out three kids, and it's almost like that's as much of a blow to to Tywin as the crossbow was to him later on in the show. Mm-hmm. Did you see how he was standing when she left the room and the shot stayed on him? And yeah, he was, was, you know. <laughs> I did because I, in my head, what I was imagining him thinking was like, ugh, icky. <laughs> That's gross. Nasty. I should have given them separate bedrooms. <laughs> I knew putting them together was, was yeah. Oh, geez. No, but for real, it's, it's very sad. And I don't even want to emotionally approach what has happened with Tywin. Uh, yet for me, I know that we've spoken about him passing many times, but I just feel like this is an episode where our, I just, it's unfair to make a podcast uh, on it, especially after because, you know, we're depending on the bigger moments that spike to us, um, like a lot of you guys online that are tweeting and blah, blah, blah. But on top of that, just the the small details, the subtleties, especially in this conversation between Tywin and Cersei, and then again with uh, Cersei and Jamie. Micah, incredibly astute. This was the deconstruction, the de-evolution of his character. And I don't know mm-hmm. if we could have went into another episode with Tywin 
being this way you know like it's almost like yeah. this was it and then it ended with him being on the privy like that right. was just it's just, I, literally it just cascaded for him and it didn't stop i thought that charles dance's performance when he has the crossbow in his face was probably the most tywin he's ever been i yeah. i felt i felt so much confidence from him that he was projecting he didn't he didn't let show i think he was he was genuinely afraid of Tyrion because he had been let out of his cell. He was armed um, and had just confessed that he had killed Shay with his bare hands. And and Tywin knows that he didn't kill Joffrey. He knows that Tyrion is a gentle soul. So for him to have killed Shay, he knows that Tyrion's in a very desperate place mentally. But even despite all of that, he is utterly Tywin Lannister, even while he's taking a shit. Like he mm-hmm. is, he is completely just like dismissive. He goes, "We're going to talk this over. It's not a big deal. You killed a prostitute. It happens. We'll sweep it under the rug." I know some people. Like he's he's so he's so, and he's always been that way. But in this particular scene, maybe it was just because he wasn't cloaked in the garb of the hand that he he had nothing on but that surrounded robe. with books. He was not in his element. He was quite out of it, and yet you saw so much naked Tywin Lannister you you understand that that's that is who he is as like this is not him uh, armed with his station or his family legacy this is just a man talking to his son who's about to kill him and still being utterly confident that he can control the situation um and I just I was so impressed with that that was one of my favorite scenes certainly one of my favorite scenes that takes place on a toilet <laughs> yeah so that's what you guys were disappointed with right that that the showrunners didn't check the toilet to see if it was shit or gold right <laughs> well yeah that's, what they that's, left out? that's the uh that's the cliffhanger course, that's one of my favorite lines in the entire series uh is that line that you just said lord tywin lannister did not in the end shit gold and it would it would have been funny is that if a line would have that's a, yeah, that's it's a, in the book. One hundred percent serious. That's a, oh, what, did no they say that in way. the show tonight? No, they did no. not. No. Oh, <laughs> that's not oh, what. Right I mean, that's not what I'm depressed about. Well, no. because he. Uh, well, I, look, it's not a spoiler anymore. He he loses his bowels um, when he gets right. shot, and yeah. so there's that line. Um, but I don't think that would have worked. Uh, in it, I think it would have cheapened it a little bit. Yeah, like Tyrion walking up to his father's. You know, well, actually, to be no, if he fair, literally lost his bowels, yeah. uh, in that moment, it wouldn't have. Right. I, I think it would have probably cheapened the the death a little bit. So, right. do you think the horse was fan service for us from back in the day? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do. Saying, I do have to give. I do have to give some props, uh, though. A couple episodes back to Peter Baelish, who said some men die sitting on their chamber pots, and that was mm-hmm. a direct reference uh-huh. to this scene. That, that's good. That's really good. That, that the writers threw in there. And well, then he turns to the camera and he winks right at Micah. <laughs> you know, guys, <laughs> I really felt that the Tywin, you know, ending scene was a little open-ended. He didn't appear to be shot in the heart. It looked more like the shoulder. And it wasn't clear to me that he had died. He's dead. He did. Okay. No, that's fine. It could. I He's think not that's, coming back as a white or anything like that. They did address it in the show. They rang the bells for him dying. They rang mm-hmm. Baylor's bells. Oh, uh, there you go. Yeah, so right down the docks when, when Varys was obviously with Tyrion at the end, the bells were the signal were the were the signal to us that uh let's just say things have gone down and that uh so has someone. Shit got real of importance. And it causes Varys to turn his ass around and get back on the ship. Yeah. Yeah. He just oh, he wow. does like the, the collar pulling like Yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> well, and also Tywin, I thought it was a big 
surprise that Tywin was sleeping with Shay. I mean, you're talking about Tywin's character. I think that's a, a huge thing, especially for the fact that history is repeating itself that's with true. all of the people sleeping with Tyrion's first wife. Now mm-hmm. it turns out that his father is boning Shay. I mean, this is completely unexpected. I don't know that I felt like it was in, you know, Tywin's character as, as I, you know, interpreted it, but I'm sure it happens in the books that way. And I'm sure it happens, you know, it happened on the show. He was definitely with Tyrion's girl. I mean, Tyrion can't catch a break here. She said my lion. That was really sad. That was really, yeah, that was really, really sad. sad. There, there is, and I, again, I don't like to be a person who complains about differences between the book and the show, <laughs> unlike, most of me bitching about this episode today, but there are some very touching, specific conversations that happen between Tyrion and Jamie um, that didn't happen in the show. Uh, and I'm not sure like, they, what you're talking about with Shay actually carries quite a lot more meaning. Um, it has to do with Tisha, who is Tyrion's first wife that you just alluded to, um, Eric. And so I, 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 there's, there's a lot of subtext here he, in the, in the show, it appears he just is enraged with passion and, and kills Shay for that reason. And, and Tywin for the same. Um, but what's disappointing is that they, they took out quite a bit of, of the, the rest of it. Well, this is, I always like hearing that there's going to be tidbits and things in the books for me to appreciate as I'm reading for the first time, you know, we've read the first two books on the show and I'm sure we'll be going on to the third one shortly. And I can't wait for these extra Conversations, I and mean, I'm sure that a lot of these conversations are repetitive in the books. I mean, you know, they may each have their own little lines or nuances that make them unique, but ultimately, you know, you can mash them down um, into the, into the into the <laughs> mash show. Them. I would rather read them, but for me, in this particular scene, um, not only was I completely shocked that it was taking place, um, my expectations for Shay were completely shattered. I knew that she was going to be in this episode because of an interview that's uh, approaching. And, and I knew that the interview was approaching, but I didn't know, I don't, I don't know the, de- I didn't know the details of it. So I just, I was like, okay, so apparently Shay is going to be in this episode. So that's cool. Man. And in my mind, this whole series has been building up for her to be this person. You know, she's had so much screen time and had so much character development alongside Tyrion. Uh, the trial happening i don't know i just i think i expect it's more of a heroic more of a love i, I don't know I, I just game of thrones man you know george r, r. martin the, the sick realities of life you know she's in bed with his father and he kills her <laughs> he job of the hustler like, oh, let's it was kind of self-defense yeah i mean no it wasn't self-defense well, i mean no, he, he initiated he, he, yeah, yeah, he went into the bed chambers he yeah. you know he knew where to go he, i don't think he expected that's my to find favorite her verb there. though my favorite verb is he job of the hut, sir. <laughs> he did. Yeah, but just to go back to what Kate was saying before, I, I mean, I think it's important that there is so much subtext and there is, you know, basically a whole nother storyline here. I mean, it, it was kind of glossed over the fact that Tyrion was hopping around. He was basically hopping around the the, the bowels of, of the castle, right? And it, this the meaning of that was to show how Varys gets around, how he's able to basically spy on so many different people, whether it's him or his little birds that are kind of going in and out of these tunnels and up to different yeah. rooms. And mm-hmm. we see Tyrion, you know, get in through the floor at that one point. But, you know, it it's a big reveal. I mean, at least it was to me in the books. Like, And I think Tyrion even says this to Varys at one point, you know, and he, 
you know, Varys is kind of guiding him around and, and he climbs all the way up, um, to where he eventually finds Shay and, and does the deed with Tywin. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a big reveal because then we, we then as readers now know, this is how Varys has been doing all of his little spying for mm. the last several books, or in this case, the last several seasons. That's interesting. Tyrion sneaking around is something that I feel like he'd be very good at. I think the Tyrion Lannister that we met, uh, certainly in the first book, is the kind of person that would be adept with this kind of situation. Grabbing a crossbow, not really what I expected. I was This was just all new for me. And we don't see terrible amounts of new in this show because there's so much to get through to get to the new stuff. So we were just feasting this entire episode. And this feast included a reckless, emotional, dangerous change Tyrion Lannister. It included someone that has been driven to the point of murder on two counts, one being his former lover that he was in love with and his own father. I mean, this is some seriously heavy Mm -hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. It, you're right. It's a complete change in character for Tyrion. We see it in his eyes. We see it, you know, even right after, uh, you know, he kills Shay, like he turns and he looks at that crossbow and you're wondering, okay, what is he going? What's he doing? And you hear the reins of Castamere slowly start to uh, play. Yeah. And it was just like, all right, uh, here we go. Um, but I will say, um, when he does, you know, finish up with Tywin and then, Maybe he wipes Tywin up a little bit too. You never know. It was Father's Day, so a little something was, special. But he gets to Varys. Uh, and, <laughs> and did anybody remember the the scene from a couple? Was it last season or two seasons ago when Varys had the magician in the box? Yes. Yes. And he puts uh, Tyrion into a very similar box, albeit a smaller one. Um, I don't know. I just thought there was a a nice tie in there. I definitely thought of that. And I will say that. That's immediately what I thought of way back when, when I saw that box and like, oh, this is a little, another one of those little nuggets on the part of the writers mm. to include this because it's not something that happened uh, in the books. So to to kind of write in somebody appearing in a box, knowing that Tyrion's going to get put in a box um, not too long thereafter, I thought was a pretty suave move on their part. Well, plus I like the idea that Varys got some sort of revenge or payback for his, you know, backstory as well. So it's nice to see that because yeah. then you, you kind of, uh, one less mystery as to his character. Um, I mean, when he's on the docks in this episode and the bells are ringing and, and he decides not to go back to the castle. Um, that to me is a huge, huge moment because this is where he's made his life. This is where his power is. Um, but he makes that call that this is no longer a place like where, he can do as much or he just decides to sit and guard Tyrion man. And him sitting next to that crate is just one of those memorable, meaningful shots. I think that, that this episode was so full of. Well, with Tywin gone, Varys is, you know, going to, going to be sort of find the kind of setup that he's used to in King's Landing. So I'm interested to see what his next move will be is going to be something, uh, I don't know. That's just very obvious. I'm saying something no, no, no. very obvious. No, I think it's be... good because, I mean, Baelish left King's Landing too this this season. Exactly. And so looking at the t- – and I mean, I feel – I can't help but feel that Varys is still behind the you know the eight ball uh, on this, this whole journey. Um, Baelish knew it was all going to hell 
in episode two, but then again, he caused it all to go to hell. So maybe that's why. Um, but with Varys, you know, just kind of leaving, you know, at the docks and, and not looking back or maybe well, he looks back, but decides to still go. Um, it's, it's kind of an issue because you, you still wonder if Baelish and, um, Varys will cross paths again. I thought that the, uh, last scene between Tywin and Tyrion, the, the last line, he shoots him with the crossbow because he's like, say whore one more time. And <laughs> Tywin says, uh, you're, are you afraid of a dead say whore? Say what again? Yes, yeah, say what again? Um, <laughs> say, and they, say what again? And then he shoots him, and that's the first time. And then Tywin's pissed, and he's like, "You are no son of mine." And Tyrion, in this whisper, he says, "I am your son. I have always been your son." And shoots him again. And I thought that that was heartbreaking. That that was the worst thing that Tyrion could think to say to his father was to assure him, oh, yes, I am mm-hmm. your son. And that yeah. is the biggest bummer that I can think of to cause right now in this moment <laughs> is to let you know that there is no question in my mind that I came from you and now I'm going to kill you. Um, and that, when I think so about sad. that, like just the and his, oh, his the tone of his voice, imagine, imagine if you are driven to patricide and mm-hmm. in your final moments, you just, you have to, you have to admit to your father that you know that you're a disappointment to him and you know that he hates you and then you kill him. Like that's that. Oh, my empathy drive is just overloaded. Yeah. It's so much more impactful than anger. Like <gasps> I hate you stupid, you stupid. And then, you know, but it's, it's completely different. Just to throw it out there. Patricide also something mentioned in the conversation between Jamie and Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Back oh, in great. the mountain Take one off. Viper. Mm-hmm. Take one off the 15 that were mentioned there. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 yeah. Um, but my, my question, do you guys believe for a second that Tywin was going to let, uh, Tyrion live as he claimed while no, the crapper? Absolutely not. No. Right? Mm-mm. Right? He's just, oh yeah, no, he's, he's you're my son. I'll never let you die. <laughs> uh, are you right. here? I just sent Jamie down a second ago. We have lamprey pie and stew upstairs. Right. It's just crapper talk. He's talking well, out of his- Of course. Go back yes. to the conversation he had earlier in the episode with Cersei when he mentions to her that Tyrion would basically die the next day. So yeah. he has no, no yeah. thoughts whatsoever about saving him. There you go. I want to change the subject. The Lannisters bum me out. I want to talk about something that I thought was amazing, which was uh, Podrian and Houndria, which, as we've called them before, Brienne and Pod and Arya and the Hound. This was like the Beatles, though, and I don't mean, you know, a magical mystery tour. Beatles. I mean, actual, just the, the, the clunking of the Beatles. The metal on metal, the Brienne and the Hound screaming you know, shouting in anguish every time she ripped his ear off or he pulled her hair, you know, this to me, and there's no music backing it that I can recall um, because it is meant to be just that what of this episode um, to me, it, it was, and they're just trying to fight over who's gets to protect Arya Stark. This is, it, I hate to call it needless because it obviously serves a great purpose for Arya's storyline. But for me, I'm thinking, why are these two characters who I like, you know, both of them going at each other and you get to see them. They pretty, they're fighting for their life. They're right. both fighting for their lives. Eric, you've just made an excellent point and uh, congratulations because I wanted to talk about Congrats, this Eric. because I think, I think that this fight, whether it was intentional or not, was representative of a great deal of the show, which is that 
they are fighting to kill each other and they're on the same side. And I started thinking about this more and more. This is the entire show. And every human in this show is on the same side. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily realize it, all of them, because winter is coming and nobody wants to think about it. But everyone who's fighting and dying is ultimately on the same side. And this fight between Brienne and the Hound just made that absolutely click for me. I was like, oh, my God, they're both they're just fighting over who gets to take better care of this little girl. And they're going to kill each other. And they go from swords to outright brawling. And Brianna screaming. She's like, it was brutal. It was oh my absolutely God. brutal. She was amazing, though. I, I, I feel like her fight scenes were very, very enjoyable because she loves to fight and she knows she's good. And she has it was that a look better on her face. fight than Oberon in the mountain. Absolutely, yeah. with you. Yes, I loved it. I loved it. For me, I hated every single moment of it. I, really, I, I could. This was so so. This entire sequence. Uh, first off, when it began, when they first met each other, I was filled with the same sort of emotion when John was speaking to Stannis and Davos about his father. Like, I it was it, to me, it was awesome because so much girl talk. I mean, it was Arya and Brienne. Yeah. Like, where'd oh you learn to, to fight? And that it was, was like so Arya was looking up to her. It was the best. I was like, oh, please. I hope that they four hang out because Pod is kind of like, you know, the the Yang to Arya's Yin. Like they could crack <laughs> jokes and sort of be around the same age. And then at the same time, Brienne's the kind of girl that the Hound would at least like to drink beers with. Like they could be friends. Yeah, She's a lot like Arya and they get along really well. So for me, I was just like, this could be so fun. But instead, she punches him in the balls. Exactly. And he kicks her right the, between in her balls. legs that she stands on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it hurt her just as much. That was a guttural yell. Yeah. Just, but at the at the end of it, hurt. she's at the, at the end of it, Brienne's shouting, you know, for Arya to, to, to come. And Arya's not coming because she just sounds like a crazy person. Yeah. Arya's like camouflage Arya. She's, she's like, mm-hmm. oh, all of my stone colored clothes. Now. So glad I wore these today. I um the reason I hated it though, and I know it sounds, I I said hate because of the way it made me feel, not because of obviously what it was, because this was it was it was pretty intense. We got some I'm on a technical level. I know I usually go back there, but on a technical level, um the way it was filmed was can we say staggeringly filmed? I mean mm-hmm. it was just mm-hmm. uh it felt kind of like the Hunger Games for a second. I was like zoom out, zoom out. Okay, you mm-hmm. did. Okay, yeah. you know, and, and this, the death of Phil with the rocks, it was great. But the reason it was so unenjoyable was because I, not to mention the stuff that I said before, but just these two characters love these two characters. Couldn't say enough good things about Brienne and the Hound. Mm -hmm. Past transgressions, whatever. It was just hard because I knew at any moment, one little slip, one of them could die and it would be really, really sad. And it was very sad. And I feel very sad. I'm sad right now. I'm really (laughs) sad. I actually think that it hurts. I think that the Hound talking to Arya and it just being a mess like a, a oh, hamburger God. mush can, of a can man can we just please not talk about this scene because it literally is too fucking sad i think it might yeah. be the most heartbroken i've felt during this entire season maybe the entire show like oberon was shocking but i didn't feel super heartbroken i was just grossed out but this was heartbreaking i i know you don't want to talk about this zach but we're going to talk about it because it was incredible <sighs> Like, it makes me... I hate it. It's a scene ultimately about forgiveness. Zach mentioned past transgressions. The Hound brings up 
his transgressions to Arya in effort to get her to be mad enough at him again, mm-hmm. as she has shown she would be in the past, to to kill him, to do the mercy kill. Um, cross me off your list, you know? It's 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 this talk and amazing performance by oh Rory McCann. Incredible. Absolutely. Incredible. Just his eyes as he's watching mm. her and asking to die. And she doesn't do it. And oh, I think and she, that ultimately. He starts to cry and he's begging her. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It, it's, it's weird stop. because. <laughs> Let's stop. No, 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 no. I didn't mean to make you cry more. I'm saying, you know, she denies him. So she doesn't kill him, which means she's not angry at him, which means she forgives him for Micah's death. Which means she loves the guy. But she leaves him alive to, to, to like, to die slowly, which is kind of a bad thing. I think that she's not doing this out of love for him. I think she, he, she asked him, are you going to die? And he was like, well, unless there's a maester behind that rock. Yep. I'm done for. And she takes, she, <laughs> yep. she looks at him for a long, hard time. And then she that robs looks. him and she leaves him. Like she's not, that this look. isn't love. I think love would have plunged that sword in its heart. I didn't like, say it was love, but I did say it was no, forgiveness. Exactly. Well, be- because she leaves him alive, it's, a t- it's torturous to die yeah. that way slowly. Oh, yeah. Everybody who's anybody wants to die honorably in battle, right? <laughs> Quick, Quickly, painlessly. She stares um, at him and she is hard as a rock. And she is letting him know, like, I see you. I see mm-hmm. what you want and I'm not going to give it to you. Fuck off. Yeah. Like she's cold in that moment. Right before someone dies, they become, you know, there's it's like, oh yeah, they're weak. Like here they're about to die. Here comes all the soft talk. The hound didn't. The hound was the opposite of that. He was telling on himself. He was giving the details of how his saddle smelled with the butcher boy Micah's blood, mm. you know, having been stained hey, and no. still smelling for two weeks. <laughs> hey, no, it's okay. You're still you're still with hey, us, maybe buddy. Maybe she just washed once in a while, Micah. No, I think but there was a scene earlier this season, right, where the hound gives mercy to was it uh somebody that he finds on the roadside or they encounter and right. he he kills him and yeah. i think that you know it it's kind of juxtaposed to what's happening to him now where he's looking for aria to do the same and i think again that it it's hard to say that it that it's love i mean i i think it's more along the lines of what kate was saying where she still deep down despises him on some level where She's not going to give him that mercy. She's not going to give him that easy out. She wants to see him suffer and you know, basically die where he is. And that's a terrible thing. But you know, even the hound says, you know, come on, do it. You know, cross another name off your list. You could, you could easily do it right in this moment. And I would, I want to actually talk about the fact that how they changed this whole thing up. Right. And that, Brienne and Pod, you know, the, you could tell the direction that this was going in. Brienne, uh, Gwendolyn Christie, actually in an interview, said that um, she's really excited. This was, I think, even back like the very beginning of the season. Said she's so excited because this season she gets to bite somebody's ear off. And <laughs> I kept saying, okay, she hasn't bitten somebody's that. ear off yet. Right. And it was getting towards the season finale. And I said, okay, and we know that the Hound got bit by biter um and you know kind of had that weird thing going on mm. and you know he got closer and closer and closer and these these two you know pairs were kind of on the same course and you can almost tell that they were going to meet up and i'm like oh shit she's going to bite off the hound's ear which she ends up doing and you know it's just 
it, it, this I don't think that it was necessarily bad that the that all these characters encountered each other. I mean, they, they don't in the books, and but I think that for the purpose of television, it worked. And the fact that you did have Brienne and Arya those couple of minutes of conversation between the two of them, which were awesome, and then you have the Hound and Brienne fighting each other. I think it made for a much more interesting story than the way that it plays out in the books. Why is it that everybody next to Arya like is is like sure to maybe on paper it looks like they're about to die, but the actual death part happens off screen. First Serio Pharrell, then the hound is presumably going to die, but we don't see him die. Presumably. I'm just gonna hopefully he's not I mean, for me, nope. Mm-mm. I mean there wasn't a Maester on mm-hmm. the other side of the rock, you know, that we know of. Compound fractures are, are terrible, but mm-hmm. but He's the hound, you know. He got burnt like crazy by the mountain. He was he grew up with the mountain, so I I'm I don't know. I I Zach's can't, I can't count hold. him out. I can't count him out just just because I didn't see the end until Brian comes on our show and says the hound is fucking dead, like he did Serio. <laughs> then no, you know. It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. The hound may find a will to live yet, but he may not be able to do anything about it. Those injuries were pretty severe. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right. Like I don't. I mean, really, the only thing that could happen would be if uh, Podrick and Brienne, because they were still around in the area. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how that would really work out. Like, well, did you lose her too? Shit. All right. Well, yeah. come help us find her. <laughs> <laughs> well, Arya, in that moment, you know, and she could have gone with Brienne and, and the Hound even says, uh, I, I quoted this, but he tells her to go and find that woman because she will help you. Yeah. Um, Arya chooses not to do that. And that's as she's walking away, he says, go find that woman. She'll help you. She chooses instead to forge her own path. And this is a, that's a kind of a huge character point. Um, she ends upon these Bravosi sailors, um, who are going back east to Bravos. She gives them the coin and decides to ride with them. I mean, she could have had her journey north to the wall where we know she was trying to get first, but by the end of it, she's just like, screw it. I'm forging my own path here. She no longer has anything to live for in the west. And so she's going east. It's it's just kind of an amazing the fact that they closed with Maisie um in this episode really just shows how the show has changed. It's it's no longer yeah. having to end on uh, you know dragons or um white walkers. It's it's ending on the character that we love forging and going into the great unknown. And can we talk about just how that was captured that entire scene? Let's not talk about Titanic how well yes that and it also felt a lot like wind waker the way she was standing toward the boat and it was like the head of it and i was like oh that's the king he's the king you'll find out later (laughs) if every episode were ended that way um the way it just just really tugged at your heartstrings with the music and with the hopefulness and i just it was it was very welcomed it was very welcomed in the season finale i'm gonna you know i'm I'm probably gonna be on an island here of my own but i wasn't really um, I didn't like the ending of this of this episode, and you know I don't think that that's how you end a season. But that's me. Um, you know I, I I get for a lot of people. You know she's finally going her own way, and she's sailing off to Bravos. Uh, it's been something that's probably been a long time coming. You know the coal coin with Jack and Hygar. They showed that little lead in um, at the beginning of the episode, right? But I didn't think it was a powerful ending. Um, I I thought that it look. For book readers, it left something to be desired, and we won't get into it. But I think that 
you know, one of the things though that I can say that I thought was really cool about it was you have three characters now who are sailing off to different areas. You had Tyrion and Varys just before that who are sailing off to parts unknown, and you have then Arya who's sailing off to Bravo. So now we're going to these different areas that we really haven't gotten a whole lot of context to before. The story is now expanding in the East with characters that we've spent so much time with in the West. And and that's something that I think is cool about it. And I mean, really just a whole lot of characters, are, other characters too, are changing cardinal directions. I always thought of um, Stannis and Davos being East. They may not be that far East. They may not have been in Essos or well, wherever Bravos was, they were there recently, but now they're in the North. And nothing makes me happier or more relieved uh, regarding the threat of the Boltons in the North than knowing that Stannis and Davos are now up there with their whole army or with their army. And I feel relieved that those two characters showed up out of nowhere and are all of a sudden in a completely different direction than we're used to seeing them in. Um, particularly yeah. for the events up there. I mean, that, that's just, now they're coming from the North. So there's a lot of, you know, kind of direction changing happening and, and King's Landing is being abandoned. You know, they're slowly, <laughs> not, that, not that there's nothing going on it's there. It's the new Winterfell, basically. But I mean, if we, if we are spending more time, like rumor said in Dorne next year, I mean, King's Landing is going to be empty. Nobody's there. I, I welcome this. Cementing Stannis and Davos as the ballers that they always could have been. It's just what a way to end a season with the, with those guys north of the wall with an army. I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm sheepishly grinning throughout this entire episode because we just watched that and all that's happening. And I understand, Micah, how you feel like it, it lacked a little weight leaving with Arya in that way. And I think for me, and this goes to a scene that we really haven't spoken about at all, but for me, I feel like the stuff with Bran and Hodor and Jojen and Mira, this should have been more of the weight toward the end of the episode. This should have been something that was much, much more important and impactful to the overall plot and what people really took away and, and talked to their friends about. Yeah, you know, that that scene shows up, I believe, almost immediately, or sorry, almost directly in the middle of the episode with Bran and Hodor and the skeletons and the fireballs and the children of the friggin' forest! Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. You see, it's it's even hard to talk about because they, they, they placed it not only with such really, really important stuff, which it's all very important, but this is this is the big shit, you know, like this is a tree that has more light than any other place we've ever seen that is glowing and beautiful and has an army of dead Stalfos surrounding, it. you know, like this <laughs> yeah. is something that is a big fucking deal. Right. I, I love how in, in the same episode we can get skeletons being blown up by fireballs and this is really happening in the real world. Yeah. And then this happened and then in the show. You have these, yeah, that's happened in real life. <laughs> and then, and then you have the conversation with Tywin on the John with his son, you know, who kills right. him and, this is they're two totally different scenes, but I think placing it in the middle of the episode was I kind of like that choice. I mean, it's it's obviously a huge mythological um, reveal that the, that the children are still alive, and in the books it goes on about them a lot more than I think the show has ever about the children specifically. But even about this power that's leading Bran up north, you, you I just associate everything with that power and with the north as, as being part of like the slow burn stuff. And so I didn't expect to, to really get a whole lot of it that was like even ending the episode. Cause I know it's just like taunting us and teasing us. And also the scary man on the throne with a large beard that we don't know yet. <laughs> Some children 
our old children. Right. Yeah, he's just a big old child. <laughs> I um, I'm going to read my notes verbatim. Usually, my notes are pretty uh, well written and awesome. pretty articulate. Um, and my notes are awesome. But for this one, uh, I have Bran in all caps, and then I say, "Here's what I'll read. I'm going to read it to you exactly." They find a tree. Talk about wallpaper material. Undead <laughs> army attack. This is all caps. Undead army attack. Hodor, no. No. And then what in the fireball shit? <laughs> Can I read my notes after you? Yes. They getting boned. And then Jojen. Oh, fuck. More zombies. That's it. <laughs> all right. Here's my notes. It starts out Hodor and company. Enter. Incredible shot of tree. They're already there. They, you know, they just got there. Okay, ready? Fucking ground zombies. Next, Hodor fucking axe fighting. Yes, Hodor was fighting in this fucking episode. (laughs) Hodor was parrying attacks from an evil creature without a soul. That was cool. Also, Jojen is dead. Did you see that stab? He's dead. dead. Do you guys remember his vision um, when he was captured? By the guys oh, that cast Yep. And he had his, he was looking at his hand and he knew that knew exactly where and when he was going to die. Mm-hmm. And show enough, big old ball of flame. Oh, to be honest, I thought he would old be like set on fire, too. but he was fucking exploded. Yeah. I believe the technical term is a girl, what the fuck, fire Deku nuts. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> According to my notes, let me consult mm-hmm. these. Those were some serious well, uh, Deku nuts. Since then. you're all reading your notes, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I will continue this trend here. I, I have three notes. Okay. The tree in sunshine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then next next note is no longer sunshine. And then oh, okay. Yeah, next, I did die for I, I guess the next shot, it wasn't so glowy. And yeah. then, uh, and then also, then the next note, because I was just eating it all up. The next note I wrote was the power that moves them is powerless here. That was that whole so scene cool. happened, and oh. I was just draw, jaw to the floor, mm-hmm. just jaw to the floor the whole time. It was amazing. Didn't take notes. Couldn't take notes. Couldn't couldn't if I wanted to. Yeah, I mean, all that I wrote about the, the let's call it the the little the chamber, which was like I said before, this is stellar. This is forward stuff. This is stuff I don't, I didn't expect to see. Certainly not. Certainly, certainly not. I thought maybe they'll get to the tree and then it'll be like, you know, they're at the tree. I can't wait to see what's next. There was a person in the tree. Who's going to teach Bran how to fly, apparently. Yeah. Right? You will never walk again. I love that. You know he can see the future. You will never walk again. I was like, okay. Then, of course, he said, but I can make you fly. I feel like we can't even talk about this stuff because... There's no way that we can just offer up conversation and really understand, unless the sullied people here, no, 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 no. Mm. But I'm saying, for me, it's just, I don't even know how we can talk about this. They went underneath a tree, and then an invisible force field stopped all of the skeleton warriors from killing them. So that happened. Mm -hmm. So there's a power greater, like a magical power that's greater than the power of I mean, do we assume it's the same power that brings the White Walkers to life that is bringing these skeletons? I mean, how many gods are we dealing with here? How many different magics are we dealing with here? Lots. It's the power of the werewolf. No, I mean, but did you also see, did you notice how Jojen's eyes glazed over the same way the babies did? And then that fireball hit him? Mm -hmm. I think that was why. Yeah, I think that's why little creepy child of the forest which i wonder is that the same girl from the season one 
Could were be. we meant to believe that that was a child of the forest? Yeah, that was a child of the forest. That's what that's what she said. She goes, "I'm a I'm a child of the forest." No, no, no. I mean, no. In I'm the talking one in about season, season one. one. Yeah, I the don't one think in so. season one. I just assumed was a dead child who was been turned into a white. Oh, okay. But I mean, I just because the eyes, but the the little girl and the, the yeah. But I have I to give know. it to Kate though, because I think it, Kate, it was you, right? You you started saying a couple weeks ago that you thought Jojen was going to die. Uh, maybe that might have been me. <laughs> I, I think we all we kind of all were saying like clearly he's going to die by being burned. Maybe he'll be turned into a white. Um, and we're just we're just throwing it around. I honestly didn't think he was going to die because I don't believe that is his fate in the books. Although my memory is quite funny. Well, he's dead point. now. He's dead now, and that's all that matters. You would never amount to anything else in the books. Hypothetically speaking, he may still be alive in the books. You know, I thought he was going to kill himself for there for a minute. I mean, that that just may be absolutely outlandish and crazy, but he was. I thought he grabbed a knife and was going to hold it, and all of a sudden, somebody Uh else is stabbing Mm -hmm. him to death. I didn't quite know what was going on there. I I read a great comment when I was doing my internet roundup after this, which was Jojen died doing what he loved most. Being pretty useless. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's so rough. Mean. That's so mean. <laughs> well, I mean, it's like he is awesome until you get to where you're going, and there's force fields, there's mm-hmm. zombies with swords that were just in the ground, mm-hmm. and also a child of the forest that can throw fireballs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I mean, I know it sounds kind of silly. It, honestly, it feels silly. I was watching it with a room full of people, and I will say that the feeling, the mood, the taste of the air was different before mm-hmm. this stuff started happening. It was mm-hmm. it was normal Game of Thrones juice right before. But when this happened, everyone I felt like was just kind of like, what the fuck is this? Like <laughs> there's skeletons and shit now. Like it just it kind of yeah. came out of nowhere. And I think that there was there was a, a point where if this doesn't, you know, like if something doesn't come out of this, like if it's just a weird crazy fight scene and someone dies, um, it's gonna be maybe a little a little cheese. Like, okay, so you're gonna throw the the magic right at us, just right like this. Like, I know that we've seen the White Walkers, but this is a, a skeleton thing. And um, I felt like when they crossed the uh, the when they crossed the threshold of the tree and like got inside, it kind of felt like they were in Carcosa, and it just it, the mood changed. And right. I, think it, <laughs> I, I hope know. that's a pirates reference. I forget I forget if it is. Um, if you pirate True Detective, then yes, it is. Oh, damn, damn. Now Barbosa, that's what it was. It yeah, felt Barbosa. like a Pirates of the Caribbean. It I mean, like no a bushel of apples. But that's exactly why it was in the middle of the episode, right? I mean, you know, bookended by more grounded stuff. Although, you know, there were dragons too in the episode, but I, I think that's why it was in the middle. It, it wasn't meant because if it, if they'd ended with that scene, it would have, you know, come off as being shark jumping or a little too heavy on fantasy to think that skeletons could be reanimated you know kind of thing the fact that it's in the middle kind of allows you to digest as the episode goes goes on well also that bran is speaking to an an omnipotent individual that was Mm. able to view them all since their birth i'm sorry guys i'm just over emotional i've had some beer and this episode was fucking crazy there was an old guy that was like i'm the god of the north i got all the north power and and brand's like good we came here are you going to make me walk again and the guy's like no idiot you think that you really walked all this way so that i could help you with your legs no just no, keep no, crawling no. there. Just just keep crawling. But what do you think the implication... I mean, there's so much to get to here, and I know we still have to talk about Daenerys a little bit, um, which means we're going to have a really jam-packed um, 
follow-up episode later yeah. on. And there's yeah. still so much Seriously. to talk about. Uh, because I think there's a lot to talk about just based on the line, no, but I'm going to teach you how to fly mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what that means. But speaking of flying, there are definitely two creatures that will not be flying anytime soon. And I actually think, for me, this was this was one of my f- most favorite Daenerys scenes in, in, and there, trust me, there are quite a few from going back a couple seasons. <laughs> that, that this was one of my. I, I really like this scene. Um, probably one of my favorite out of this episode too, um, because I, I just thought it was amazing. Um, it was very cool. It, it was really, really cool. She finally put a damn leash on her damn pets. Two of her three pets. One is still out there. Yeah, not the offending one. The offending one is still flying. Hasn't been seen in three days. So Eric. Um, made a good point well, like six episodes ago and we we kind of all shat on him for this and I, I want to formally apologize Eric because we, we talked about Danny being the breaker of chains and freeing all the slaves and how great it was and you were like well what if the what if that's just the way it is? What if the slaves just want to be that way? We were like Eric nobody wants to be a slave. Well, I should pair and then I, yeah, in I this should episode defend, like, I didn't think that all slaves want to remain slaves but sure. the socioeconomic and the, the things and the, of course the, 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 right with the stuff but, but, yeah. but in this episode we actually see that not only is is the one example but he he tells her that there are many slaves lined up outside former slaves who just want to go back to their old station because life is too dangerous for them now and they have nothing yeah. left. And that's sad, incredibly sad. But, mm. I mean, who is she to say that they can't do that? And she eventually, she's she lets them have, like, well, you're you're free. You do what you want. And Selmy tells her, like, they're ju- it's just going to be slavery again. Give it, give it a week. Like, everybody's just going to be slaves and everything mm. but name. So you see this, the kind of the one piece of power that she really has which is this giant slave base and they may not actually be supporting her as much as she thinks they are um and and the irony of her having been the breaker of chains and freeing the slaves and then having the inability to, to control yeah how to chain your dragon like i she had to, <laughs> how to she, chain your dragon <laughs> slowly dragon. with music <laughs> but she she can't she's she's the unbreaker now she she's chaining these these creatures that she's responsible for more so than she is for the the slaves of marine and she can't keep them under control she deconstructed the uh institutions of marine and failed to erect proper ones in their place. Mm-hmm. That's what we're seeing. The teacher was no longer a teacher. He was just an old man in a mess hall filled with community you center. Know, hundreds of other ex-slaves mm-hmm. with no purpose in life. She failed to give him a purpose, and this is something that he craved. He wanted to teach. He wants to be a teacher wants to teach, right? To mm-hmm. share, to impart knowledge. And this is something that her current system does you know fails him. And in addition to just being everybody's life ruiner, uh, you know, Daenerys has to come to terms with the fact that letting the dragons run loose, too, has just not been a good policy of hers. And she fesses up to it. Yeah. At, at least in part, you know, by, by taking the two that she has control of. Or yeah, at least the has. two good dragons. Yeah, the two good dragons get, yeah, they're <sighs> not going to be very happy with them. They're brother. just baby dragons. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're so cute. I, I thought so it was it, Danny's arc was was very pleasing for me. Have you guys ever seen Beauty and the Beast? Nope. What? <laughs> I well, seen I was it. I was you, about to say never seen it. I was about to say <laughs> no, that the slave guys like there's to to quote Lumiere 
from Beauty and the Beast, he sings this whole song about how life is so unnerving for a servant who's not who serving. Who's not serving. Yeah. You know, Danny's arc in this episode was really satisfying for me because um, I never really t- – look, people say she's like this whiny kid in the, in, in the books, but this is her kind of having to take responsibility for – the oversights and then sort of the missteps by chaining her dragons. I mean, this is like putting a leash on your killer, you know, pit bull. It's just a good idea. You just have to do it. And the fact that she... No, it's like chaining up your two good pit bulls because you have a <laughs> shitty pit bull running around mm-hmm. eating children. There's there's still the issue. There's still the issue of the shitty pit bull that's running around. So we can still hate Danny Why for another Why are you guys season. picking on pit bulls? They're, they're uh, the sweetest dogs. They're so you know, they're Okay, so German Shepherds then, which ate my No, let's just rounds. not pick on any breed, okay? okay let's no, just leave no the breed in particular. You've got a vicious dog and... Animal. It's, it's been... Okay, you've got, you've got a vicious animal. Mammal. Let's Thing, I don't want to be thing, offensive. Thing. You, yes, you've got a vicious salamander, and it's just you just haven't tied it up since day one. She hasn't tied these things up. She keeps some of them in a cage, but that's just for easy transport because she she can't very well accidentally step on them. But when they get to be this size, you know, she's taken no responsibility for them. Even the, at the when the sheep, when the guy came with the sheep or the goat and was like, "Hey, uh, so your dragon burned my goat." Even then, she was like, I'm going to kill, I'm going to still let him run around and, and just fly everywhere. And when was the last time you saw him? Three days ago over the Black Cliffs. Three days. Nobody's yeah. <laughs> keeping an eye on the, nobody like came to her and said he didn't come back last night or he didn't come back for two nights or. Listen, man, Drogon doesn't have a curfew. But they're just going to find, they're going to find entire care. cities burned to the ground. They're going to find, there's going to be a whole, you could write a whole book based on. Uh, the destruction that that dragon's just off causing while Danny's not paying attention. So she's a negligent pet owner. What do you, um, what do you suggest that she does? She do what, what, how should she regain control of her dragon? Well, she's really screwed the pooch now. I mean, who knows when Drogon will be back? He probably doesn't even need her anymore. Mm-hmm. Probably um, season five. She needs to find a way to talk to him. Yeah. Call him back. Mm-hmm. Does she have a flute? Uh, one thing I think we failed to mention about the throne room encounter was that it served a great purpose of showing not only the differences between what you guys were speaking about earlier and how that's affecting Daenerys's rulership, but young and old adapting to this problem of your city being sacked and taken over by someone else. Like yeah. the young preying upon the old, basically yeah. like rolling in clans and taking all of their food. Like it's like a an episode of Orange is the New Black, essentially. <laughs> It's rough. But with less sex. I was for just once. thinking about how <laughs> it res like that resonated with that audience. You know, yeah. like mm. they're listening to that and the guy's talking about for sure for young people, you know, the, the it's getting taken over and freedom's here and you're gonna change you get your whole life to do your stuff, but you know, we've been doing this our entire lives and that's just what works. Like this is my bed and where I keep my stuff and I get so much joy out of helping these kids grow and so now that none of this is happening, I'm you know, it it sucks, and it's like an allegory to, you know, how the world shifts at such a fast pace. I mean, I think we got to see a, a really good view of that in the uh, final episodes of uh, this first half of the last season of Mad Men. Uh, I just think a lot of shows are giving attention to uh, to this problem, mm-hmm. and it's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, the older you are, the harder it is to change, as the saying goes. Um, I mean, Danny kind of arbitrarily says the contract that you will sign with this man cannot last longer than one year. Okay, well, in one year, you're going to have the same problem. Like, he's going to come back and be like, I still want to be a teacher. Well, he can Um, re-up then. Yeah, re-up the contract um, or get traded away. Or just work for someone Microsoft makes you take a 100-day furlough uh, so that you can't be abused and locked into contracts for too long. Little, little fact yeah. about contracts. Well, there you go. He can join Microsoft's branch office out in Marine. 
There you go. <laughs> Problem solved. We have, I think, uh, large portions of our brains and uh, minds are exhausted at this point. It is sort of late at night, and we are not even, I would say, guys, is it a fair estimate to say about, we're not even about 30% of the way through what we'd like to be as far as just getting all of this off of our chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially since there's a missing scene at the end of the season. Yeah, I know. We've yet <laughs> to talk about. Mike and I need like 30 or 40 minutes to talk right. about that. <laughs> Vaguely. Lucky for us, this is our show, and no one can tell us that 66 minutes is just long enough or that maybe we should leave it until the beginning of the next episode. Nope, <laughs> this is our show, and we'll make an episode again later this week because that's what we do. But for now, I think it's time for us to share our owns. I got an own here. Uh, I was just reading through my notes trying to come up with uh, either I gave myself a note when it happened, and I was like, this was awesome, Mr. Man. Say uh, it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it to Meister Eamon. <laughs> Man, Meister Eamon, who survived the battle at the wall, uh, exists, survives to. Yeah, because he's give, probably sleeping. Surf, survives <laughs> to give the eulogy um, to the men of the Night's Watch who have died in, in that um, battle, which I guess now is the only battle of the wall. I was going to say they'll be back tomorrow, but uh, I guess not with Stannis there. There are those 400 men, though, that Mance said climbed over. Oh, yeah. Do you think they'll still attack? Oh, at the beginning of the episode, I was so worried about them, but now I'm just like, oh, those guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, Aemon, uh, for the fallen warriors, um, Aemon's words were were both touching, heartfelt, and and meaningful, and important, and that man still does his duty, and he does it well, so own to Meister Aemon. Good on. I like that. I'm gonna keep my own up north. Um, and give it to Mance Raider <laughs> when he says to Stannis, "You're not in the Seven Kingdoms, and you're not dressed for this weather." <laughs> that was a great line. So apparently, oh, their Bravos money didn't, uh, you know, their Iron Bank money didn't get them enough scarves or fur coats. That's probably what it is. Well, he's he's got a cold shoulder naturally. <laughs> My own goes to Brienne. Her fight scene was incredible. She went toe to toe with the Hound. Now, we haven't really seen anybody do that and and survive. And she very much did survive. Kicked his ass. She walked away. She tossed him off cliff. And she basically wiped her hands and and strode off. And she loved, I think, every second of it. There was, there was a look of glee on her face in several of the scenes. And that's something that you don't get to see a lot as a lady warrior who's just loving the fight uh, and, and is kicking ass. So... Hound goes to Brienne. Good job, Brienne. Brienne. She kicked the hound off a mountain. She did. Houghton? Houghton. That brings us to Zach Zone. Zach. Zach Zone. Zach We're in the Zach Zone. Welcome to the Zach Zone. That's the worst segment ever. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of wanted to give my own to that really awkward horn in the Wildling camp, but I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone forget, forgot that. So I think that my own of the episode is going to have to go to the entire Lannister family for single-handedly turning the best among them into a murderer that killed his own father, that killed someone he used to love, and who has a future now that I'm completely uncertain as to what will happen. But uh, Tyrion has always been one of my favorite characters, so it's it's really impactful when you live with these people for so long, it almost feels like. And, uh, you know, he he just choke someone to death and then shoots his dad twice with a crossbow no matter you know all the other stuff aside that's just not mm. Tyrion. you know that's wow. not Tyrion. so uh the lannister family um each individual individually in their own ways um were parts of the puzzle that helped push him 
to that level. And I think that um, it sucks. Maybe he's more like the rest of his family than we thought. <laughs> That's what it's looking like. Man, I haven't even begun to process that. That's amazing. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's just, it's uh, it's rough because we've 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 just seen this, and uh, uh, a lot of you listening, I'm sure, have probably watched it a few times and have your own ideas about how things have happened. And honestly, our opinions are going to shift some, you know, because we're going to have the chance to watch it a few times, so we're going to have mm-hmm. the chance to to read and, and and you know to like flesh everything out and to kind of think some. But this is our our first take at um some of the episode that was a massive season four finale, the children. Yeah, and we're going to return on Friday with all of your owns. And, uh, you know, we, we don't want to, you know, try and, and, and squeeze the ownage out of what you've already given to us in a, you know, very short window. We want to dedicate as much of the next episode to you as possible, getting your feedback, hearing what you had to say, what you thought was the best of the finale of season four. And I'm sure, as you mentioned, Zach, there are things plenty of things that uh, we glossed over or didn't really have time to analyze in depth, which we'll get a chance to do on Friday's episode. And there's a number of different ways that our listeners can get in touch with us. And Eric Skull has all that information. On Twitter, you can tweet at us, twitter.com slash Game of Owns, or at Game of Owns if you're already signed in, just hit the new tweet button, which I think is like a fountain pen, if you look at it, or a feather. No, it's a <laughs> feather. It's a quill. Okay, is I'm it? looking at the icon right now. It's definitely oh. a quill with like some right mm-hmm. angles mm-hmm. around That's it. Eric free associating. Mm-hmm. That's just how his thoughts go. On Facebook, nice. you can scroll up on our wall, facebook.com slash Game of Owns. Uh, the wall is there and standing and now reinforced with 100% more. Stannis. Now with 100% more Seaworth. Uh, yeah. Our Facebook, our Facebook wall. Freaking love it. Love that guy. So uh, And of course, you can email us, contact at gameofowns.com with your longer comments, questions, concerns, thoughts on the episode, thoughts on how the adaptation is going, and all that other stuff. Contact at gameofowns.com. Boom, guys. That's it. That's Monday, right? That is Super. it. Gosh. In the can. Yeah. So hopefully you spend these next few days uh, talking to your friends and family and hopefully working through this episode with us because we'll be here. We will. We're here for you. Always. Well, one thing before we leave you on this first or uh, final recap episode of the season, we do want to let you know that this summer we will be appearing live at LeakyCon, which is taking place in Orlando, Leaky. Florida. Actually, it's called the Orange County Convention Center, I believe, in Orlando, Florida, uh, from July 31st to August 3rd this summer. All four of your Game of Owns hosts, Kate, Micah, Zach, and myself, will be there on site hosting a panel, number of other Game of Thrones, just fun, hijinks, everything there (laughs) on site. Please stay tuned to our social media and our website for future information, but we will be at LeakyCon. You should check it out. There's a link. It's LeakyCon.com. Just go there. Check it out. We would love to see you guys join us. We would love this. Now that we have one live show under our belt, we'd love to have a second. And this will be happening at the end of July. Everybody should take notes. What Eric is saying is very true. And if Indianapolis is any indicator, three strong is pretty tight. But the four of us, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying, guys? It's going to be... Can't be stopped. Right? Like it's going to be fun. four horsemen. Yeah. Of the apocalypse. Just like... Mm-hmm. They bring the end of the world. We bring the end of this episode. Just like the um, four Ninja Turtles. Thank you for listening to our last post-episode episode of 2014. Please don't cry. We won't. We love we'll you. We'll see you in 2015. There's really no Friday episode. <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>
in that after, moment. After it's like it's like if you watch, you can take all this out, but it's like if you watch like really weird porn, and then right. afterward you're like, "What the fuck what the did fuck I just is watch? This shit? I'm what just shutting it down. I'm not even xing out of everything. <laughs> I'm gonna clean install my OS. Where's my lab? Where's my? I <laughs> gotta find the disc. Do we have any of those floppy disks left? I think I left. Okay. <laughs> uh, that, that's what. That's what. I don't think that maybe that 